Speaking of huge, Darcy. <laughs> sure. Could you talk about your character? for the Mundangerous Undersea Vent in New York City. I'm your host, Shane. And I'm your host, Yishin. And welcome to episode 324 of Total Party Thrill, a podcast for game masters and players where we discuss our campaigns in order to inspire yours. In this episode, it's our 2022 Gen Con online panel. Two legs bad, playing realistic non-humanoid RPG characters. What is the Undersea Vent in New York City? That doesn't... <laughs> well, there's one right, right below it. What are you talking about? It's uh, New York's built on undersea vents. Uh, sure. Okay, great. Uh, Manhattan is Atlantis. It just floated over. So this uh, this is a panel that you hosted with Darcy Ross and Rich Howard uh, for Gen Con Online. You streamed it on YouTube with a fair bit of help, I believe, from Aram, uh, mm-hmm. our editor. As always. And now it is available uh, in juicy podcast form. Uh, if you want to watch the like watch the entire thing, you can go to our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash total party thrill. Uh, and uh, for those of you listening via podcast, the additional 30 minutes that was not included as part of the regular Gen Con panel, where we just did a bunch of casual Q&A is available as bonus content on Patreon. So let's get into it. Hello, hello. We are live. Gen Con Online. How you doing, everyone? We are going to be talking today about playing non-humanoid characters. I'm Ishan Sherwood from Total Party Thrill. You probably know that because you are currently on our YouTube channel. I do a little bit of freelancing here and there, um, but the people you're really here for uh, are my friends, Darcy and Rich. I like to think of them, though, honestly, as uh, Calderam and Robin to my Connor Kent. If you know, you know, all right? Okay, it's been years, but it's still in my heart, in my heart. But can we do a few introductions? Darcy, let's kick it off with you. I'm Darcy Ross. My pronouns are she, they. Uh, I come to role-playing games and life uh, through a lens of loving weird creatures. I'm a wayward snail scientist, and uh, I'm currently a marketer for um, Critical Role's tabletop publishing company, Darrington Press. Uh, so yeah, I'm, I'm really all about the intersection between RPGs and the natural world and the ways it, in which it seems delightfully unnatural. Um, so I'll pass that to Rich. Hi. Why are we all wayward? Is that what it is? I think I I can also call myself a wayward marine biologist uh, from uh, a decade or so ago or more, many more. Don't don't think about it too hard. Uh, (laughs) I'm the concept lead for a Powered by the Apocalypse game called Descent into Midnight. Um, In Descent into Midnight, you're playing alien aquatic uh, creatures in a civilization that the game helps you create that uh, live on a world that has never been touched by humanity, um, that are being uh, having an existential, physical, emotional threat to the community that you're working together to try to resolve. Uh, I also used to be a, uh, a uh, columnist for Tribality.com. You can still find my uh, articles there. I have a column called From the Depths, From the Deep, From the Deep. Um, it's been a few years for that as well. It's been a few years for everything, guys. I'm back. Um, and you can go check out uh, my columns there. And I talk about a lot of fifth edition D&D stuff, but uh, actually I talk about uh, all kinds of role-playing games and how to adapt uh, the wonders of marine science into your games. Before we 
really dive into talking about how to play non-humanoid characters, I, I wanted to spend a little time with the three of us to talk about our experiences doing that very thing. So my question to the two of you is, what is the, and I don't want to say weird, right? I think we sort of default to weird uh, as an adjective. We'll get to some of that like language type stuff in, in a little bit. But what is the least humanoid character that you have ever personally played in an RPG. Uh, Darcy, you have a thing that I think we're going to spend some time on a bit. So, Rich, can we start with you? Yeah, for sure. I played a lot of non-humanoid characters, and in running Descent to Midnight, got, I mean, I could talk forever <laughs> about the characters that people create there. Um, and I'll, I'll probably drop a few mentions in there. But for myself personally, I think the most memorable moment of playing a, a non-humanoid character was actually in a game with Darcy. Uh, the Blue Planet game from Gen Con 50 that was uh, unbelievable. So, where you both cried? I think you both cried. Oh, we had all the emotions, like all at once. Yeah, fear. <laughs> all at the same time, Deep like fear, blood, anxiety, yeah. crying, love for each other. <laughs> yeah, it was it was amazing. Um, Blue Planet is a uh, hard sci-fi role-playing game created by Biohazard Games. We were uh, had the honor of being run by uh, Jeff Barber, who is one of the co-creators of the game. And uh, it was an incredible game across the board, but I was playing a pilot. I was playing a pilot whale that was literally the pilot of our uh, rescue team. Um, in Blue Planet, there are uplifted cetaceans. Uplifted is a phrase that was introduced by David Brin in his Uplift trilogy, or more than trilogy now, I guess. Um, about uh, So basically, I was playing a pilot whale. And so most of the time I was in the water, even though the rest of the team were inside this facility. And so the way that they deal with that is um, very active telepresence in the setting. So there are these remotes that that fly around. And like the, the general can see is that like you interact with a remote as if that remote was a cetacean character and so my remote was able to do things and interesting things while we were inside uh and they were walking around on quote-unquote land but part of the climax was out in the ocean and involved me and it was just something that i just <laughs> just gives me physical reactions um each time i think about it diving down after um after uh the kind of uh the MacGuffin, I guess, of, of this <laughs> game, I'll call it that. Um, diving down into the depths, feeling kind of crushed by the weight, uh, ended up knocking myself unconscious, almost dying. Like, it was just, it, it was an intense, intense game. Um, and it was unbelievable. It was amazing. And then in Descent to Midnight, you can play literally anything. And so we expected people to make, like, coral constructs, you know, or, you know, like, a tuna fish or some kind of merging of cephalopods and seaweed or something. We had people come up with, there were, they were psychically linked kelp forests, uh, sapient bubbles. Uh, I think a game I played with Ishan, were you in the game with the sentient oceans, the living oceans? Right. Like they, they were the physical embodiments of uh, game statistics. So yeah. Yeah. So part of this, so in, in this power by the apocalypse game, our, our stats are like hope, 
altruism. These are like stats. And so mm-hmm. if the, the players kind of ran away with this idea that the five stats were these five oceans and each of these five sentient oceans had the characteristics of these things. And two of the oceans were player characters in the game. I played a, a psychic anglerfish in that one, which tells you like about the level that I bring to a table. So, <laughs> <laughs> so uh, it, it's pretty breathtaking. And, and one of the players, I think it was one of my last games at the last Gen Con I attended the the whole the character was i am the psychic repository into which the regrets of those who have found grace are deposited i'm um, like great oh who's your mom <laughs> like, let's talk about that like where you know and then it turns out his mom was like this other thing in the city do they have dark vision that's really my main question yeah, exactly <laughs> yeah yeah are they small they is, that tiny? is that tiny or, or is yeah. that huge yeah. i don't know speaking of huge Darcy, could could you talk about your character? Well, I think Jenny is a perfectly reasonable size for the kind of thing that she is, which is a house. Um, So I'm currently, yeah, a literal house. So this is a character I'm currently playing, and so I'm still exploring. So I I feel like, you know, characters I've played in the past have kind of like conceptualized. I really like understand what they ended up. And I I still am not quite positive where I'm going with this, but I'm in currently in an invisible sun game. So invisible sun is surreal magic. It's, um, what if all kinds of weird, surreal paintings were, were true? And also there's magic and, uh, you're all playing nerdy wizards who get up to, uh, bizarre, uh, mind bendy, nonsense and or like studying books to find new spells all that sort of thing uh and the specific campaign we're playing is very like cozy um inspired by like only murders in the building like a cozy mystery and so it's really tiny it's really mundane it's really um kind of subtle how we're playing it and uh, the character i bring is her name is jenny uh, named after genius loci, like um, the sort of Roman spirit of a house or dwelling uh, in like, you know, classic Roman religion or whatever. Uh, and so she was a house for for many years in this magical, strange land of Saturn. And uh, she had a wizard who lived in her, right? And uh, at one day, she started becoming kind of sentient and awake. And uh, when the person who lived in her kind of passed on, she left Jenny a body to go inhabit. So I'm, you know, it's, I'm playing a house, but right now I get to get to cheat a little and walk around in two legs. But it's really fun to get to... um, conceptualize the idea of like, what does someone who has been uh, a house, very static, stationary, having people come through you experience as they get, they get to, um, you know, I think I really get to play with like, what uh, are two legs bad? You know, it's, it's a lens through which to look at our bipedal nature and our, our human nature, right? And uh, I'm having a lot of fun thinking about the ways that like, what does a house care about? They care presumably about sheltering people and and um, the safety and well-being of those around you. And so I'm having a lot of fun playing with that. And also like, what magic? I'm a wizard now, NMBD. Uh, I have spells. I have weird stuff. So what do I get up to? And, you know, so I'm talking to other houses. And a big thing of my, my secret, my magic is like, um, I know the whispers of other buildings nearby. And I'm starting to sort of find the true sapience at the heart of these inanimate objects nearby. And um, also, I'm like kind of timey-wimey, spacey-wacy. I'm, I'm thinking about getting spells that let me hold an incongruous number of things inside my body and or like find myself in a new place. Or So I'm, I'm having a lot of fun with Jenny. It's really weird. Um, 
And uh, I imagine at some point I will presumably want to go back with like, what if she is a house again, right? Like, uh, like what Rich is doing, how do you kind of, um, I think a big question when you play something that's so different from your own body is like, how do you do, functionally do the kinds of things that we bipeds think about doing, picking stuff up, moving around, uh, communicating with others near you. And uh, I think like the remote operated um uh, oh, I guess they're called remotes that, that Rich talks about is a really good solution. Is that something I'm going to do? Is it going to be weird telepathy? Question mark. So I, I really am interested in these like uh, accommodations we build for uh, bodies so different to our own. I think that's really fun. So that's Jenny. She's a house. <laughs> I want house wizard to cast a fireball and then, of course, say the house always wins. Oh, my God. OK, a lot of this character's puns. It's like, right. What puns, what fun language yeah. things can we play with? <laughs> uh, you got a Baba Yaga vibe, right? Oh, like, gosh, I want the best yeah. of both worlds, house and two legs. Absolutely. Right. Like you can be expressive as a house. You can move your shingles around in a very evocative way. Oh, I knew I was going to come up with a lot of ideas for my character through this chat. So thank you all. The least humanoid character I've ever played, Quinn, who is not actually a redheaded man. Um, Quinn, <laughs> just the best. Quinn realized, of course, that uh, biological creatures really are more comfortable when they are speaking uh, to someone with a face. Yes. Uh, right? So that is Quinn's digital avatar. Quinn, though, was actually a six-foot-tall floating lithium sphere composed entirely of uh, nanites. So they also shape-changed and were yes. able to change color at will and sort of like floated around like a billboard for like the celebrity character in the, the group. Um, and Quinn's main thing was uh, would just sort of open a little aperture uh, in their side and out would pour either uh, plasma fire, um, armor-piercing uh, high explosives, uh, or coffee. Um, because of course they had a, a 3D printer uh, in in inside them and also a portable server so they were at the hacker group as well um but the weird <laughs> thing about quinn because we haven't gotten to that yet is that so there was quinn who was a psychic robot um but then there was also as part of the same character quinn the beta fork personality and then also there was quinn the custom titanian muse and then there was quinn the uh, combat-focused chaos AI. So, of course, like, Quinn and Quinn got along really well. Quinn was a bit of a loner, and then nobody liked Quinn at all. Oh, my God. In any way. And, and of course, they all sort of argued with each other inside a 60 times speed simulspace so that everything was just happening in time <sighs> dilation. That, of course... Was this Eclipse face? It was, yeah, there we go. Thanks, thanks, Rich. You clocked it. That was <laughs> Eclipse face. Yes. <laughs> Okay, that's that's enough of. That's oh only, my gosh! That that pretty much that's home home group years later. It's just like I hate Quinn, but I love Quinn, and they don't <laughs> want to hear about Quinn anymore. All right, so so for this actual panel, we're talking about playing non-humanoid characters, which is something on the podcast we talked about. We've talked a lot about playing non-human characters. This I feel like is an even bigger subject, right? Because we have the entirety of non-bipedal species in the entire universe to talk about. And I think it's it's interesting to me because like it's not wrong to play a non-humanoid character just like you would play a humanoid one, right? But I think doing so can leave a lot of opportunity on the table, right? Like so much of the fun of playing, I don't know, like a sapient gelatinous cube is picking the enemy that you attack first based on how you think they will taste. You know, just 
whatever, right? You can do that with lizard folk too, but it's cooler when you're a gelatinous cube. Um, so let's talk a little bit about, you know, why it is that you might want to sort of like expand your horizons and get into this. I can only speak to my reasons. Like for some reason, I have been fascinated since I was young with the idea of writing a novel or writing a short story or experiencing something with a culture that was completely non-human. And then it would break my brain because I'm like, well, how am I supposed to relate to that? Or how is a reader supposed mm -hmm. to relate mm -hmm. to that when you have something that's a completely alien experience? Like by definition, you, you, you don't have any common frame of reference theoretically. So how do you do this without plopping a human in for perspective, right? Somehow we stumbled on that with Descent into Midnight. But characters that are in Descent into Midnight, they're really exploring, ironically, they're exploring very human concepts and ideas outside of a framework of human bodies, right? So it's like what Darcy was saying earlier, like there, there's, an, there's an illusion of things, right? Our brains work in a way that we make assumptions about the world around us so that we can function on a daily basis. We try not to make assumptions, but you're going to assume that if, if you walk from across your living room, you're not going to suddenly fly into space, right? There's, there's these assumptions about mm -hmm. how life works. Um, and when you do a non-human character, at least when we had players playing in like Descent to Midnight, I think... Um, I think it was Orion Black had, play, had done a, a demo game with us. And uh, Orion was saying, like, the idea of become, as soon as you become a fish, right, whatever you become underwater, all of your assumptions about everything mm -hmm. around you changes. Like, mm -hmm. what is a door? Mm -hmm. right? right what what totally. what does that even mean like do do you need a door why is it square why is it this yeah. that height like do we need a roundness do we need a door like what is what is that and so when you get to play a non-human character or excuse me a non-humanoid character if the setting allows you to explore these concepts and ideas it can be a fascinating way of looking at what we are um i was mm -hmm. just on kill every monster and we were talking about the aboleth which is you know <laughs> definitely a non-humanoid monster but the whole purpose in a story if you're going to be telling a story with this in a role-playing game the whole purpose of that is to kind of reflect on who you are as a human so if you're going to use an aboleth we can talk about what an aboleth is we also have to talk about what what are you using it for like what what are you coming out the other side of this encounter with that you didn't have beforehand mm -hmm. and with an aboleth it's you got to know more about who you are as a person on the inside right mm -hmm. like your character who your character will be on the other side mm -hmm. should be different after you encounter an aboleth because the aboleth <laughs> is going to make you question yeah. like all of those assumptions about things oh your illusions of government and economy and we, you want this little metal thing i don't know what this is but yeah sure <laughs> this makes my job easy here take a bunch of this shiny metal thing if that's what it needs, they can help you question those things and come out the other side, you know, in my opinion, like a, a purer version of who you are. Have you considered mucus? Yeah. <laughs> Let me give some to you, DC 14 con save. Um, uh, yeah, so so that's the opportunity. That's why I want to play non-human characters is because I are non-humanoid characters. I want to explore something that's completely different than me. And that's the beauty of role-playing games in general, whether you're playing humanoid, non-humanoid, or humans, like the idea of being mm -hmm. able to experience something uh, in a hopefully like a safe, good, comfortable, fun environment that you don't get to experience on your own. 100%. 
Um, there's a great comment in the chat here, chat here from Signata from a little earlier. I love playing completely non-humans with alien mindsets like dragons. As someone with autism, yeah. what's coolest is when you can do it well enough that people suspend their disbelief. They start explaining their actions and motivations. Very educational. Yeah. I'm saying this because, and I'm doing this because. Um, and I think there's, like, Darcy, there's a, um, there's a crossover here, right, between playing non-humanoids and then like the way that we um, talk about or portray um, a neurodivergence or disability. Yeah, I, you know, I think um, it, I'm glad we're touching on it early because what we're functionally talking about in some ways, at least, is like really different, um, like physical and mental ability sets, right? We're talking, you know, I don't have psionics. I don't know what that's like. Uh, I don't have pseudopods. I don't know what that's like. Um, but then there's, you know, things where uh, we may intentionally or unintentionally come up upon kind of you know, real world disability issues of representation, right? And uh, I think we just wanted to flag that there are some awesome guides to uh, doing this thoughtfully, to raising some of the important questions you might want to know about as you kind of find yourself in the sphere or want to explore that sphere, um, whether, you know, uh, wherever you're coming from. So uh, a big roundup of some great resources is the uh, Accessibility in Gaming Resources Guide by Jennifer Kretschmer. Um, so I think we're going to drop a link to that in chat. And uh, yeah, it is just full of really good information. Um, highly recommend people go check it out, whether or not they're playing, you know, non-humanoid characters. Uh, but I think that can get into, um, I think that'd be a really useful resource to have at your side if you suddenly are, are marveling at all the ways in which the world may or may not accommodate different, uh, you know, configurations of people living in it. So, um, and I think the the only point that uh, I feel like was a big lesson I learned and have really tried to internalize is like, uh, if your game is about <laughs> it being hard to move around in the world, that's one thing. If that is not really what you're all kind of coming around to explore necessarily. Um, there's no reason that in our fantasy and our sci-fi and whatever genre we're making, that the world can't be better than our world is about accommodating uh, kind of diverse, um, you know, ability sets in, in whatever the people may be in it. So I really, you know, if you think about Star Trek or whatever, it's not that disability has been snapped Thanos away. It is that, you know, a post-scarcity world should accommodate, uh, all kinds of ability types. So, uh, that's, that's just something I, I'm, I'm glad we tackled early. Cause I think, uh, that's some of the fun of playing people, you know, really different from ourselves, but also, you know, something to be aware of. So, yeah, totally. And like, I think having that in your game, it makes it really easy to begin thinking about like using inclusive language when dealing with yeah, these point. characters, like even getting into something like, you know, what we might consider tropey aphorisms, like uh, look before you leap, right? Mm -hmm, if you have mm -hmm. a character who's blind, how do they feel about that? It, but then we go a step further and we have species that don't have eyes that don't, that don't right, see, totally right? Different that perceive, sense organs. Exactly. Right. Mm -hmm. And is that, offensive or is it just totally confusing and I do not know what you're talking about or the point that you're trying to get across <laughs> right. about danger. Yeah. So I stumble into danger because you did not accommodate uh, for like my understanding of what you're trying to say. When we're talking about, to me, when we're talking about non-humanoid, like we, we think like, okay, two arms, two legs, that's the definition. <laughs> but you make a really good point. Like in the blue planet setting, for example, the, the planet that you're on had one evolutionary, significant evolutionary difference than Earth. And that evolutionary difference is compound eyes never developed. Mm. 
So even creatures that are look like analogs to things that we have mm. here. So there's like a, a rabbit kind of analog and a, and, a, and a thing that looks like a primate kind of analog. They don't have eyes. <laughs> they mm -hmm. have eye spots and only mm -hmm. eye spots were developed. So when you're talking about something that's non-humanoid, I think we should expand that out to like, yeah, I mean, you could have two arms and two legs, but like, what, what is really different? Like, like Darcy's character, technically the house is a humanoid walking around. Right. Right. But there's something different about their experience, how they've grown mm -hmm. up, like what, what they were and how they interact mm -hmm. with the world that makes them non-humanoid in thought, I guess, processed mm -hmm. maybe. Um, and so all of those things can be, can be taken into a, taken into account when you're, when you're doing this and and you're talking about a game being able to accommodate some games are set up easily mm -hmm. to accommodate things descent into midnight or other things that are more like narrative focus you can you can adjust things pretty easily a uh, game that's like um like D D, you're gonna have to talk to the people around the table and figure out like mm -hmm. you know what you're what what how how are we going to make this so that it's the most fun and interesting for everyone at the table. What are we here to explore? I, I think something that ties in, you know, why play non-humanoid characters too is uh, I really think that like for me in general, uh, it is about that. Uh, I think role-playing role-playing games in general are so good at this, but as the, the further you get from what I am in my day-to-day, -day, the more I get to like kind of check those biases. I get to see the world around me in a new way, in the language I use, in the ways I'm looking at doors and thinking about, oh my gosh, you know, I just really haven't been uh, I take them so for granted. And I, I really think at the core of why play non-humanoid characters, it does come to that eye-opening chance to look at things a new way. So I, I really like how that all tied together. Let's get into a little bit of the nitty gritty. And I think we can probably sort of move quickly through this part and get to some more discussion later. Um, mm -hmm. Speaking of which, I just saw Shane is in the chat. He is on hey. double baby duty, which is why he's not on the panel right now. But uh, go ahead and yell at him in, in the chat. He's right there <laughs> for your amusement. Um, I think when you're thinking about like, what is my character going to be like? The question you're trying to answer is, what are you? And and the answer to this question on, on one end is going to determine what you are like physically, what your physical abilities are. But your character's response to this question, to the, this inevitable question that they will get from other people in the setting and perhaps other people in the party, what are you, is going to determine so much about your personality. So let's start off with physiology. Probably this is the most obvious thing that's going to be different from your, you know, typical humanoid characters. Um, your appearance is usually different. Like, what are you made of? Are you made of nanites? Are you hard like a house and so you're hard to hack apart and kill? Are you soft and gelatinous and uh, made of acid? You know, um, we've talked about abolus already in pseudopods, right? What does your anatomy look like? What appendages do you, appendages do you have? How do you physically touch the world? And how do you take in information and sense it? If you took your brain and put it inside this creature, it, are you three feet off the ground and examining the world? Are you six feet? Are you, is it top down because you fly? Are you underground and you only feel emanations through your skin? Senses are a big deal. And I think that's the first thing of like getting into, you're talking about appearance and, and what, and what you look like, like, what are you? It, it would be like walking up to a human being and saying, what are you? 
right? Like, <laughs> right. Ishan, Ishan, what are you? Right, because from your perspective, you're normal, right? You're you, right? right. There's only that yeah. frame of, right? It's all about common, it's all about common frames of reference, right? And so being able to have that question, again, it gets back to that comparing, being able to look at your humanity, right? Like, wh what are you? What am I? What are you? Right. I, I don't, I don't know how to answer that. I don't know how to answer that question. I am, I'm me. Um, and even knowing like, um, you're talking about senses, right? Like mantis shrimp. I, I'm pretty sure mantis shrimp can just see into the dimension next door. They have so many different types of rods. What are all those rods and I, what, what are they all for? Darcy? I have questions. Yes. <laughs> like we see like three different things and they see 16 and it's like, yeah. what? I, I my brain can't even wrap around six or eight, much less 16. So the question becomes maybe like, is that what your game is going to be about? Are you playing a D&D &D game where you're kicking indoors and, and doing, you know, that kind of thing? And it's just like a, an action adventure you're looking for, you know, you're looking to have. Um, or is it about exploration of humanity? Or is it a little bit about both? And again, with the appearance, like if I want to play a sentient dolphin in a D&D &D fifth edition game, that game's probably going to have to be about being in the ocean <laughs> or I'm going to be, point, right? uh, yeah. Or I'm going to shape, have to shape shift. Right. Or hand wavy magic or something like that. Hand wavy right. magic. I, I mean, Oh my God, a dolphin wizard who shape shifts into a human. Yes. I've been there. <laughs> um, I was just thinking there's, there's that image in Numenera Darcy of the goldfish. Yeah. Like that. Oh the, yeah. Like the, there's like a goldfish who literally just flies around. Yeah, yeah. Hovers. It's a comp sapient companion to a weird wizard. You can make some adjustments and adaptations, but really, like as a, as a, as a game master looking at a player, you, you're like the player wants to have this experience, mm -hmm. right? You you there's an experience that the player is looking for. How can we how can we make that happen? Mm -hmm. And do we make the rest of the world? Uh, about that like do flying goldfish are is that just a new species and everybody just mm -hmm. knows how to handle that at the at the Maybe. local inn chat recommends a new spell land walk so <sighs> yeah. funny you should say that <laughs> so i'm actually working i'm actually working on a project i can't actually talk about what it is but i just created a thing about merfolk who uh that whole that old uh, idea like uh you know sailors fall into the water and they're saved by by merfolk right so a kiss turns them into a merfolk or they get to breathe water for a period of time and they can rescue them that kind of thing so the whole culture is actually developed around this idea or a lot of the cultures developed around this idea that they have this ritual that allows merfolk mm -hmm. to actually wander the world the merfolk are like no we protect the world the oceans are the biggest part of the world this land's just a little extra thing that we have this spell to get onto where you guys hang out but we're actually the protectors of the world we, we can go anywhere mm -hmm. we want and so that land walk spell uh, it's a ritual that actually that actually does that, uh, and vice versa as well. So um, you were talking about appearance, and then you got into senses, and that got me into the mantis shrimp. So I think I got us <laughs> off track a little bit. I think we'll probably come back to mantis shrimp. Mantis um, shrimp is yeah. the best. But yeah, like think when when you're creating the character, when you're figuring out how to like get into the character, start with the very basics, right? Like how do you perceive the world? How do you how do you get around? How do you get from point A to point B? What do you eat? How do you eat? Right? Do you, do you eat? eat? Yeah. <laughs> and uh, how does that shape that experience? And then play on that. Like you're in an inn with a bunch of other players, right? And they're having mutton and ale or meat or something. Mm -hmm. Like that's a great just take take a five minute, ten minute moment to like have a discussion about what are you sticking in your face 
why why are you sticking that in your face <laughs> you know like in your that's, whatever that's not, that is that's not what you guys eat through the same thing you talk out of that doesn't make any sense whatsoever and like let's be honest it doesn't make any sense it doesn't i have some notes about uh the human body <laughs> aram if we could show off the feather star um this is just a note that uh i think sometimes when you're trying to think about uh you know, if you're if you're trying to explore something really different from you, the natural world holds uh, sort of endless, bizarre uh, assemblages of sort of ways of being. And I really encourage you to get weird with some, especially marine biology, I feel like, or, you know, very small biology, small creatures. So this is a feather star. Um, they're uh, like uh, crinoids, which were a thing we only knew from the fossil record for the longest time. And then we discovered weird things like this actually moving around in our oceans. Incredible. Uh, so they have these long uh, fronds that they sort of unfurl, these like kinoderm guys, and uh, they can kind of sort of fly through the water. So I just wanted to, I think like if you're if you're trying to imagine maybe a new kind of non-humanoid that you want to play, um, the natural world holds uh, a lot of information on that and a lot of like really surprising ways that different animals move around um, and, and plants too, right? So just that, that video is mostly I Love Feather Stars and uh, what would it be like joining your party sort of floating through the air or other mediums? Uh, and they do, I just found this out, they do kind of like bumble on the ground too. And there's a different video, I did not bring it, but. Um, you know, there are often multiple ways that uh, creatures locomote. So uh, scope it out. <laughs> I mean, imagine the initial, like, first contact between this yeah. character here right. and a regular, yeah. like, D&D party is like, are, is this the thing we can talk to? <laughs> right. <laughs> uh, oh, my gosh. Do we eat I it? Think is this it one looped? might have an Aristotle's lantern too, which is the the horrible a kind of derm mouth part. Go check it out. Uh, I think you know we've or been don't. we've been really yeah we've been really enjoying talking about kind of the in character fun you can have with describing your your what you what you look like um, how you interact with the world. Um, but I, I think we mentioned too like uh, sometimes it's really helpful for your fellow players to like have a decent grounding. You know, they're not there with us in our, you know, in my brain while I'm thinking I'm a feather star. So I think there's some like really good groundwork that it's usually useful to do of like, if we're a party and we've been together for a while, you know, X, Y, and Z about me. Uh, just cause I think sometimes people don't want to be rude and ask, but also are like, can this other character help me with X, you know, uh, task? So I think a combination of kind of in character and out of character, just like logistics is really valued when you're playing something kind of outside the norm. You're talking to me and Darcy, so it's going to be a lot of Marine related yeah, sorry, inspiration. That's, my bias. that's, that's just, why you came. That's the why, that's why it is. Um, feather stars are incredible. You could even just look at something like um, and, and a shape changing octopus. There's plenty of incredible oh, yeah. videos out of, there's there's one of a video of an octopus that's shape changed itself into something that's walking like on God. the on the ocean floor like it literally that's has feet. like you're looking at it and the narrator's like yeah i literally don't have any idea what it's trying to do here like i, I don't I don't know what it's imitating there are times <laughs> where it will there this uh one octopus will pull itself into a hole and leave two of its uh arms out and then shape change and change color change the arms to look like a sea snake to scare things away. So you're looking at it and you're like, well, okay, there's like a whole bunch of questions I have here, but clearly you understand what it's doing. It's trying to scare something away. But this other thing, it's like, that's not an efficient way to locomote 
at all so are you just playing around because why not because you can or is this something that you can do and when you look at the way that things move in the ocean and the the uh environmental the lack of certain environmental pressures that we have here um that allow like big creatures to develop or small creatures light creatures like the feather star to develop to be able to to move through and then you apply that into you know like a surface or air or something like that can be absolutely incredible I think one of the things I like about non-humanoids and, and thinking about them is the fact that we're talking about playing them in games, right? So, okay, now we've got locomotion and now you just told this story about this octopus doing this strange thing where it buries itself and like turns its arms into sea snakes. And to me, that's like, well, that's a rogue. That octopus is a rogue, right? Like instead of minor illusion, it buried itself in the ground and turned its arms into sea snakes and now it's making a bluff check. Great. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> or or it, it's just a druid. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> that turns into a person, right? Like Darcy was saying, right? It's a dolphin that turns it shape changes into a, a human or elf or whatever. And and that could be a fascinating way to interact with the world around you while still having a completely different mindset. Like, does the dolphin still sleep one hemisphere of the brain at a time? Is that why it shape changes into an elf? Because it's kind of the same thing as a trance-like state. <laughs> Like there's, there's a lot of interesting things you can do while still technically being humanoid to interact with the world. Um, that gives you a, a different mindset. It's really about the mindset. So speaking of the mindset, let's talk about that a bit. Like, I think when you're playing these characters, you're going to be asking questions or other characters will ask questions about your culture. And I think sometimes you're going to be like a unique creation right and like your culture of one and sometimes you are going to be probably the only representative of an entire species and now it is your job to educate so here's a chance for you to think about like what parts of your culture do you embody and which ones which ones do you reject um and how does it how are you translating it for what are likely going to be humanoid party members that you're interacting with all the time what words or phrases do you use? What words or phrases do you not use? Um, what meta metaphor? I think there's probably a lot of metaphor that you need to use. Yeah. Uh, so I've I've been thinking about that a lot as for the the character that's a house. You know, I wanted, um, uh, you know, I wanted an exclamation that would make make sense to her, right? I I think um, you know we often, you know. Uh, like there's basically I, I one of the exclamations that we kind of came up with is uh, instead of, oh, my stars and garters, uh, oh, my stars and gutters, um, you know, uh, <laughs> often like thinking about people, other people that that she's around in terms of what is at their foundation. Right. Using like kind of um, what is important or, you know, I, I'm sort of often looking for that. How do I read my surroundings around me in in terms that. I relate to my own body, my, my house body that I, that I grew up with. Right. Um, you know, I think too, about like, uh, in the Hobbit, we leave the Shire, right? Bilbo is like, you know, you get a little, you get a slice of life in the Shire and then you leave. And they're often like, people are always like, wow, a Hobbit is out here. People kind of know about Hobbits and clearly Bilbo is doing a very non-Hobbit like thing that even by rejecting that Hobbitness is, um, informing us about the society and culture of, of hobbits, right? So I think there's fun too in the way that you get to like paint and explore and maybe continue to develop um, the culture or like society that you came from, uh, even if you are rejecting or bouncing off of it. 
in uh, Descent to Midnight, uh, we don't have a canon setting. So every player, uh, I mean, everybody could play the same species, I guess, if you wanted to, but every player typically comes to the table with their own species mm. that they develop. And then we take those species and then merge them together into a civilization or a culture that you're dealing with. So, so every like metropolis city, mm. whatever you want to call it, that you're game is setting is set in has multiple species that are working together and so even just asking a few key questions about like like what is most important you know to mm -hmm. you and your culture or what is a what is a holiday what is an event like what is a what is a thing that your culture celebrates and if it's something you're making up completely off the off the fly you can you can even just start with one thing and then you, as you're interacting with other players, other mm -hmm. players, if you, if you really get that player agency at your table and allow them to help develop the characters as they go, then, then you can, you can, uh, take that little seed of an idea from just one or one or two questions you ask about your non humanoid character and this culture and, and build on it as you go. And you're like, Oh, this, this thing you're celebrating is a lot like the Ishkabibble festival that we have and blah 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 <laughs> where we i don't know fire sea cucumber intestines into the air or whatever like you just kind of just kind of roll with it naturally yeah, darcy knows what i'm talking about um <laughs> so and if you're gm you write that down yeah and yeah. then you write that down yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You, you got that's definitely coming back that's not going to haunt you in any way <laughs> um so so just even starting with a little thing and and you know the first things that you think of are probably going to be just it's going to be the first thing off the top of your head right and so it's going to it might be a little on the cliche kind of a thing but if mm -hmm. you just keep digging a little bit you mm -hmm. keep going and you and you keep again yes ending on on people's ideas and having them uh just as i feel like i want all my players to be doing at the table anyway to kind of help people you know help us all develop our characters better you can create basically what ends up being a culture and you don't have to be we, we really encourage people to be like look if you're playing this particular playbook we don't want this playbook to be your whole species we just don't mm -hmm. we just lean against that it happens once in a while and it's okay once in a blue moon but if 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 all your psychic space whales are all like this shamany character we call a seeker mm -hmm. Uh, it could be an interesting character a game. That was an extra interesting game in which that happened, but that's not an interesting species. Like the species should be as diverse as anything else you're doing. So like not all dwarves should be Scottish speaking, drinking, mining. There's somebody's got it. Somebody's got to be bacon bread. Right. And so you want a variety of things that you have the species doing and you are one of those things. So trying to uh, open, open things out into layers when you're thinking about these things for the species that you're doing. Yeah. Like to use Jenny, the house, if I may, as, as an example, like how concerned is Jenny with dying? If, if, if Jenny does die and reverts, I assume maybe reverts to a house, can someone just sort of like house of Theseus her back together and like, She's I was going to say the same thing, like yeah. that, the whole Theseus paradox, right? Mm -hmm. Like if she has her gutters replaced and her, and her windows replaced and her walls replaced, is she still even Jenny anymore? Do houses get ghosts? Uh, do they become a ghost, right? Can you, if you die as a oh. house, can you haunt other places? Um, you know, I think these questions are really fun, right? And, uh, you know, we know how we have an understanding of how death might work for the people around her, but, and of course, like she is only has a body because the person 
she who used to live inside her died. Uh, you know, she left that as a, a parting gift. So I think contesting with that and, um, you know, uh, what does like love, you know, I think like these fundamental questions, right? Like people die, people love, people do whatever. Uh, all of these non-humanoids are going to be people, right? They're at some, some capacity. Um, but what do all those things look like? Um, and, and, you know, maybe they're immortal, but that's still a, a decision you've made on this broader topic of like how we tend to think about our own humanity. Um, yeah. And like, what do you, value too, right? Like, um, I had this really interesting interaction. I, I, I think, um, Rich, you were mentioning the way that like other players can help inform our own characters. Um, same with a GM too, like a GM NPC, you know, riffing off of what these other players give you is so valuable when you're really reaching outside the norm, especially. Um, but, uh, oh gosh, what was, what was my point about the Jenny though? Um, I don't remember. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, yeah. Oh, it was that I was sort of messing around and we were having a, a fun session where kind of like Parks and Rec has that like rival town that they have nearby. We were visiting our rival neighborhood and um, uh, we were really like insulting it. Right. We were just like, oh, this place sucks. You know, all, and it was, of course, a fine, perfectly fine place. But we had this friendly rivalry and I was like, oh, why would my character that kind of feels outside of character. But I, I came to understand it as coming from a place of like intense loyalty. Like I was part of that neighborhood in a way that someone who moves around and ambulates is not. Uh, and so having these interesting personality traits kind of emerge out of something that I realized she would have so deeply held as a value, right? Like I, I love the place that I come from in a way that uh, a biped walking around never could, right? I am so in a part of it. So I think like thinking about death, love, ideals, what do you value um, is like really rich to kind of flesh out that personality. I, I think diving into the idea of transience, like, yeah, you can mm. just, you're just walking through here. So you're not even taking a hot second to look around and see the beauty of what is in this neighborhood or the pain that's in this neighborhood or whatever you want to have your story be, you know, discussing um, is, is key to a house. Uh, also, I was thinking, like, what does it feel like? What does it feel like to her? I don't, I'm trying to think of a good example, but like a castle under siege, right? Like, why is the castle being punished for a bunch of humans that are making terrible yeah. mistakes? Like, in in um, in World of Darkness, when I was running Werewolf back in the day, the the Umbra is like the spirit world, and when uh generations of a family live in a house for example all of that love and all of that all of that um mm. familial understanding all of those things kind of kind of uh inform the umbral reflection or the shadow of this house mm. and so that even when the family's gone when you walk into the house you're feeling like the house itself the spirit of the house has a personality that is its own combined with its history right and so you're saying like you had a wizard living in you for a while and then that you know, you suddenly became, you know, sapient. I'm like, oh, well, that makes sense. You've got somebody who's literally doing magic and probably creating and conjuring and like, who knows what's going on in there. <laughs> That's going to leak out into the house or every house is like this, right? Mm -hmm. And you got to kind of cross worlds in a way that other houses don't necessarily. And maybe that's a reflection on ourselves and capitalism and ownership and, you know, <laughs> honoring the places we live and, you know, things like that. I don't want to get too much. Into new, new game idea. Every character, humanoid or non-humanoid, has a little wizard living inside them. 
is that not something is that, that never normal? Mind. Is that, is that normal? Um, we're down to about 12 minutes, so I want to make sure that we get some time to talk about the getting into character. How do you put yourself into a body that you've never experienced? All of us listening today are humans, and so, like Darcy, like you said, you don't have psionics. You, you, you were imagining having these things. Mm, mm, I don't want to tell anyone about it. Um, like, how how do you do it? What, what What process works for you? Gosh, that's such a good question. Um, I think there are like two broad categories of like the the portal I take into a character. Um, sometimes I am excited to explore themes. I really am, am you know, coming in with a focus of like um, really thinking about like humanity and what would it what would it say about humanity to be something a person like this, right? And so I think Jenny the house, especially since she's running around in a biped body at the moment, um, is really about me being really interested in the themes. And then I think the other category is sort of like I am just really interested in the simulation, the like what would it feel like on the ground? What is it like to be this kind of being? And I think. Often I, I can arrive at similar destinations, similar locations at the end of this path, but I think the way I get into it's different. Um, one of the things I really liked, one of the great pieces of advice I think I got from maybe James D'Amato, and I've heard it elsewhere too, it's a common like improv technique, is um, if you're trying to get into like a personality or a voice for a character that you're coming up with, um, to find a place in your in your own body where you are holding yourself a particular way and... Um, we're, we're just very integrated creatures, we humans. And there's sort of a brain body connection, you know, we will associate my shoulders back might make me, you know, um, kind of feel more confident and speak in a slightly different way than my shoulders hunched. Or, um, you know, maybe I, you know, uh, uh, maybe I'm doing something with my hands, and it's reminding me that I'm a little, uh, um, that, that might bring out certain behaviors in the way that I portray this person, right? Both through voice and um, kind of like your portrayal of them and also just like remembering in your body, what is this person like? So I think sometimes it can be really, I think when I, I tried to be really rigid when I first was playing Jenny. So I would kind of like hold my hands very stiff beneath me. You know, I just think about her as this uh, not being used to being this like noodle body that we humans have flopping around all over the place. Absolutely disgusting. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I think like one pathway in is really like, uh, find a place in your own body where you can kind of resonate with what that, that person is like, um, either, you know, thinking about it anatomically or just like in personality that you've been developing and trying to start there. That, that's one way in anyway. <laughs> yeah. Then there's that, that's that, that proprioceptive sense of like your body and what right. it is when you were doing this, Darcy, I was like, Oh, it's the feather star right yeah. like even even if you're just like oh like while i'm talking or moving just once in a while like doing this is just like this it's like puppeteering really it's a suggestion totally. of an idea or a so feeling you of like your other pcs yeah. how would this make me feel this would make me feel light right and how does that affect my personality and how i look at the world and other things in ways that are so too subtle for us to really cognitively control but and taking it from that to add on to that that proprioceptive sense just other senses right? Think about what it would be like to if you hear, if you hear things differently than other people, if you are, you know, to throw it back to the mana shrimp, you're seeing 16 different things that wavelengths or frequencies of light <laughs> beyond like even what people even know exist, like or tasting or touch or sense like the 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 real 
a visceral feeling I have from playing pilot was going was going deeper and and my marine science knowledge kind of helped me understand what the feeling of that pressure is. But everybody can feel that like just even going down a body length in a pool, you're going to feel the changes in your ears and the pressure on your body. Now just multiply that by 100 times, like every 30 feet, you're doubling an atmosphere of pressure. And I think I was at like, what was I at Darcy, like a 1000 feet or something like that. And I kept going deeper, like way beyond where I should have and I should have died but i could i can feel that in my body like the pressure and then like the layers of blubber and fat that protect me from the cold but like the pressure is still getting down on me and my brain starting to get wonky from the pressure and so there's a, a shape changing aspect of mm-hmm. of feeling different kinds of senses uh than we normally do on a on a daily basis mm-hmm. helps me get into it Rich, you touched on this a little bit in terms of like building out a character piece by piece. And it's something that we talk about on the show in terms of like getting in, getting into the mindset of a non-humanoid. We talk about the show in in regards to backstories, how you can have a backstory, which a lot of us do. You show up with four pages pre-written, right? Which we might call an expository backstory. And you already know what the character is going to be. For your first level character. Yes, exactly. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) It used to be 20th level. And then they, anyway. Takes a million Um, experience points to get to first level. (laughs) You can do something called emergent characterization here. If you like, don't necessarily know what you want out of this house or non-humanoid character or whatever, especially if you're building something out. And you start with the one thing that I said, maybe you don't want to have be your entire character. Start with your gelatinous cube, who's picking enemies based on how they taste. Great. That's the one thing you know about them. That's all you need in session one. Mm-hmm. More right? will come. And, yeah. Yeah, exactly. And then other things emerge. The I don't like the flavor of boiled leather armor so i don't attack those people anymore but then quickly you move beyond talking about flavor or taste you talk about locomotion you talk about personality you talk about romance and love when you see two humans in love and you're like what is going on and i i just divide right and also expand on that like if you're talking about taste it's become like a big thing for them right so taste and smell like how how does a gelatinous cube taste like where is their they don't have a tongue so they're tasting with their entire body which means that when you see two humans in love maybe those pheromones or other things like maybe you find out accidentally that this gelatinous cube has been able to sense all kinds of behavioral stuff going on that you never even realized and as a gelatinous cube you didn't realize wait you guys didn't know this they're they're not gelatinous cube ships counselor yes (laughs) yes give that starfleet officer a badge they don't they don't taste like they're in love i don't that's not gonna last (laughs) yeah Mm, no (laughs) exactly i can taste that he's bluffing but go all in exactly and then you can then you layer on more onto that it start it can start out fun and and just funny right at first but then eventually it starts getting to like wait what are the implications <laughs> what are the implications of this like down well, the line <laughs> that's what you should always be asking yourself with these characters what are the implications if that shrimp can see 16 million colors and i can't that must be important information yeah i, I mean why, why do you have to see that it's not mm-hmm. just for fun like there's an environmental pressure that made you want to, what are they seeing that i should be seeing yeah right yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> maybe i don't want to know never mind 100 percent. don't you yeah, don't want to no. know right. in just our last few minutes i do want to talk about actually bringing this character to the table like advice for gms because i think what will happen sometimes is you'll have a a mind-blowing idea for a character and then the gm is looking at like their forgotten realm setting and being like i don't know how to work this in and is this too much work and should i not even bother i my advice to gms would be like try it you know roll with it you you don't necessarily know 
what's going to come out of this. Like I, I think of, you know, whoever said, oh, a bird and a fish may love each other, but where would they live? Like obviously had never confronted a penguin before, you know, like the, these things exist in in the natural world, right? There are opportunities and options. And in general, I would say, um, like, be open-minded to new concepts. And if you need to, like, just go narrative with it. Not just the GM, but the players, right? Mm -hmm. So I think the question, the question I, I always like to ask is not like, um, uh, so someone wants to play an elf. Great. Elves are an option. That's wonderful. Something is drawing you to an elf. Like, what is that? Like, what, what do you want about the elf specifically? There's an experience that, that you want as an elf that someone else may not want as an elf, that someone else is looking for something else as an elf, right? And, and I want to know as a, as a GM, I want to know for the player, what are you looking for? And so if you're saying like, I want to play an octopus, okay, well, that's going to be a challenge and we can make that work. But why, what is it about it? Is it that you like the shape changing part mm -hmm. of it? Do you like the fact that they're just alien brain that's co that's like parallel evolution to ours, right? Is it that you like their beak? I don't know, but like, what is it about that? And then we can focus maybe more on that, trim some of these extra things. I may be trying to fix problems I don't need to fix, right? Like, oh, we don't need to worry about this. We don't need to worry about that. You really want to play this. Okay, well, I can, I can bring that into the game and get you that experience instead of me trying to be like well how am i going to deal with you're a tuna how am i going to deal with the fact that you have no hands right and and the player's like i don't care about having hands i got mage hand oh i'm trying to fix a problem in the world that i don't need to fix anymore not asking the player like not what you are but why you are like mm -hmm. what, not what you love but why what what, it, what do you want out of that experience so we can bring the experience to the table yeah, it does. Um, I really think uh, this this ties in well to the um, the way that that your character may emerge over time as well. Um, I uh, was GM in a Numenera game where uh, someone was playing someone who had gotten swallowed up by the rogue nanite swarm, the Iron Wind, and so he died. Uh, he sacrificed himself, but then he came back. Then he came back as a weird swarm of nanites who. We, uh, we checked in and like, you know, I think like check-ins are great for your characters anyway, right? Like, are you getting what you're wanting out of this experience? But especially if, if they're playing something really unusual, like, uh, like my friend was, I, you know, I wanted to ask them, are you comfortable with the, you seem to be putting a lot of limits on your character. Is that, is that fun for you? Or are you feeling like you have to do that? Right. And they were like, no, this is the best. I want to slowly, uh, pick up abilities that I used to have in the past, but I'm enjoying these limits. And I was like, rad, you know, and I think like it's, it's exactly that kind of check-in rich with like, what are you enjoying about this experience? How can I give you more of that? And then like checking in in a couple of sessions to make sure it's still fitting. Sometimes the cognitive load of playing a really complicated character you put too much complications on can, can be a bit much and you can scale that back. Like, no, I, I really think a lot of this can be about interesting constraints and permissions and finding like which of those are fun for that player is like really valuable to play toward as a GM. Mm. So do either of you have anything that maybe you want to plug that people might want to know about? Uh, yeah, again, I, I'm concept lead on Descent into Midnight. You can go to descentintomidnight.com and get the quick start guide. You've heard me talk about it during the panel um, today. But if you go to descentintomidnight.com, there's also the Kickstarter video, which does a really good job of explaining this bizarre alien fish game that we created uh, that became bigger than we expected. 
Um, and then also, by all means, check out Blue Planet, the game that Darcy and I played in that wrecked us for life. It was the second edition version back from the 90s, but uh, they had a very successful uh, Kickstarter for Blue Planet Recontact. And there's going to be a lot of people you probably know out in the RPG industry adding their bits and pieces to Recontact. And you can get a quick start guide there. And I believe it's biohazardgamespublishing.com. And you can go get a free quick start guide to that and check it out as well. I highly recommend it. Awesome. Uh, seconded on the recommendation. Uh, you can find me places at Darcy L. Ross. Uh, and yeah, all my work that I'm doing with Darrington Press, you can find at darringtonpress.com. Um, I'm super happy uh, to report that one of our recent uh, 5e source books, Taldari Campaign Setting Reborn, won, uh, won an any for best setting last night. So uh, I think we're a big team full of people who love the the weird creatures of, of magical role-playing games that we play. So check that out. And uh, yeah, check out all our games at DarringtonPress.com. Thank you so much. All right, that's the panel. Let's talk about how our listeners can get in contact with us. We do love hearing from you. You can tweet at Shane at Mundangerous. That's M-U-N Dangerous. And you can tweet at Ishan at Evil Sans Carne. That's Malice minus Meat. And you can tweet at the show at TPTCast. You can also email us at TotalPartyThrill at gmail.com. And you can find us on the web at www.totalpartythrill.com. We're also on Facebook and Instagram at TotalPartyThrill. And join the conversation on Discord. There's a link in the show notes. And before we wrap up, we want to take a moment and thank our Patreon supporters. Your support is what makes it possible for us to keep doing this show. And if you'd like to learn more, you can check out all of our rewards at patreon.com slash throw. Rewards including the bonus content uh, from the, the extra 30 minutes of this very panel. And what do we have planned for next week's episode? We are continuing the adventures of Tez Proudgale in our playthrough of The Magister's Masquerade from Strixhaven, A Curriculum of Chaos. Well, that's it for episode 324 of Total Party Thrill. I hope we lived up to our name, but either way, I'm Shane. And I'm Ishan. Thanks for listening.